with the reading of Acts, as spoken about previously. Today's Bible reading is, uh, scripture reading is Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 11 and 22 to 31. The Jerusalem Council. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the customs of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about the question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in details the conversations of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together and to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God... Who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they had finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. We will continue on verse 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers. With following letter, the brothers, both the apostles and the elders to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Sicilia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who had risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by the word of mouth. For it has seemed to be good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these things, you will do well. Farewell. So then when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And um, Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were both sent off in peace by the brothers to them who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. This is the word of the Lord. 
All right. Well, thank you, Ilbum, for reading our passage today. Uh, good morning to everyone, and it's good to see you all today. I hope and pray uh, that you are doing well. Uh, if you're new to our church, we're currently going through the book of Acts. And at our church, at Risen, we go through books of the Bible. Uh, because the Bible is not just a historical and factual document, um, though it is, you know, but it's not like an encyclopedia where you look up like strength or, you know, marriage and you just pick and choose your sort of uh, verses. The Bible is also a story, right? Um, let me ask you a question. Are you the type of person uh, to constantly check in and out of a movie when you're watching it at home? You know, like uh, you're checking your phone, you're doing some work, you're constantly asking the people who are all watching, what's happening? You know, what's going on? And what do they say? Say, so, I don't know, why don't, why don't you just watch the movie, right? <laughs> and so when we read the story of humanity, of God and Jesus, like knowing any good story, it is very critical that we read through the entirety of it, you see? There's no way we can understand what God wants to tell us and teach us if we take snippets here and there, and it's very, mis it's very easy to misunderstand what God is saying. Because in the Gospel of John, uh, Jesus says, the truth will set you free, right? That's what Jesus says. The truth will set you free. So I'm going to illustrate this with a modest example here. Um, I love donuts, all right? But not all donuts are the same, right? Uh, when I eat a good donut, I'm tempted to say, this donut is the truth, <laughs> right? What, what does that mean? That means that this donut is good as advertised. It's the real thing. It sets me free from the delusion of all other donuts. All other donuts are false donuts. Right, this donut is the light of the world, illuminating the darkness. But this is what Jesus is saying, isn't it? When he says, I am the truth, and I will set you free, what he's saying is when you listen to me, when you hear what I have to say, when you see me break it down, you're going to realize that I am the true prophet. Right? I am the truth. All other narratives, they're false. And listening to me, experiencing me is going to set you free. And the only way to understand that is, is by reading through the Bible how Jesus intended us to. And so with that being said, uh, we're in Acts 15 today, and if you missed any of the previous sermons, uh, please feel free to listen uh, um, on Spotify or watch it on YouTube. The links are on our website. Uh, but there's a lot going on in our passage today, so I'm just going to jump right in. We're going to see three things in our passage today. First, we're going to take a look at the fact that God works through truth. Second, we're going to look at then that God also works through grace. And then lastly, we're going to look at what it means to live by grace, to live in grace, and to live through grace. All right? Those are the three things we're going to take a look at. So God works the truth. Now, the first thing we see here is that certain people have come from Jerusalem to Antioch, where Paul is and where Paul is teaching. And they tell them, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, before I get into that, it, this just reminds me of, <laughs> I, I, I eavesdrop on my wife's meetings at work, and there's always miscommunication, right, of, of, of what the project is about. Who told you that? <laughs> no, that's out of our scope, right? Stop encroaching, uh, you know, um, at our workplace. But here are some folk that have come and said, you got to be circumcised to be saved. 
Interesting. I don't remember Jesus saying that at any point in his ministry. Jesus did say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. In other words, cosmic and divine forgiveness, the gift of the Holy Spirit, eternal life comes through not circumcision but through faith in Jesus as the sacrifice for our sins. Jesus never said it comes through any other religious act or moral endeavor or human striving. And so our text says that Paul and Barnabas had no small disagreement and debate with them. It was such a big matter that Paul and Barnabas stopped what they're doing and decide to make sure that this theological disagreement is handled. If I sent you a YouTube link of this theological debate, I'm sure it would get more views than your Netflix app. So I want us to see today the, the significance and the implications of correct theology. What do I mean by that? Well, we don't care about theology getting God right because we care about being right. It's not about us. At the end of the day, it's about getting the truth right because we know that the truth has implications, right? It can set people free. Someone was out there saying something incorrect about you and they're misrepresenting you. I'm sure you would want to be correctly understood. Not because you care about being right, but because it will have implications, right? And so the reason why Paul takes this so seriously, he drops this real important missional work that he's doing in Antioch to sort this theological disagreement out. The reason why he takes this so seriously is because incorrect and false teachings of who God is and what he said, uh, even with good intentions, has an impact on people's lives. It is literally and eternally dangerous. Now, when we hear Christianity talk about truth, right, about theology, about correctness, we start to squirm. We start to sweat. Why? Because if God is true, what that does, it inevitably forces upon us a response, does it not? A response. It calls for change. But when we hear Christianity talk about love, we like that. Why is that? Because it creates a God who is okay with everything that we do, that we think, that we say, whether it's right or wrong, true or false. A God that is about love at the cost of truth eases our conscience. It doesn't call us out. It doesn't challenge our assumptions or our blind spots or our self-growth. But church, is that good for you? Is that good for those around you? Actually, love without truth is not love at all, right? If you go to a doctor and you just want the doctor to make you feel good without the truth, is he really loving you? Is she really caring about you? Uh, Penn Gillette, he's an actor, uh, he's an entertainer, he's a magician, he has shows in Las Vegas, and, and he's gotten so famous that now he writes books. Uh, but he is also known to be an atheist who's written a couple books about his atheism. And he posted a video of one of his encounters with a Christian who had given him a Bible. And he says this. Um, he says, it was really wonderful. He knew that I was an atheist, but he wasn't defensive. He looked me right in the eyes. He was polite. He was honest. He was sane. And he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a Bible, which had written in it a little note 
with five phone numbers and an email if I wanted to get in touch. And then he goes on to say this in his, his little video. He says, if you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think that it's not really worth telling them because it would make it socially awkward, and atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them? That's what he says. If I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it and that truck is bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. Pendulette is absolutely right, isn't he? Speaking the truth is love. And so understanding God correctly or incorrectly will have a positive or negative impact in our lives. And that's why this is such a big deal for Paul and Barnabas. That's why they can't let this go. That's why they have to figure this out. That's why it's an important deal for us. That's why we're growing, going through this, right? It was a long text. It was kind of confusing. We weren't quite, quite sure where, where we're going with this text. But it's because the truth about who God is, what he said, what he's doing, it matters. This brings us to the next point. God works through grace. Now, here's what this debate was about. Most of all the early Christians were Jews, and because they were Jews, they've been raised uh, sort of following Old Testament law. And in Old Testament law, males had to be circumcised. And the origin of circumcision goes back to Genesis 17, uh, the Abrahamic covenant, and God tells Abraham this. He says, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So we see here that circumcision was a symbol of Israel's commitment to God, right? That's what it was. It was a response. It was their act of faith. But throughout Israel's history, we read that they kept falling away from God. And God calls them out on them and then says, this, this circumcision, it's, it's an empty symbol. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, after, uh, about 400 years after God gave the sign of circumcision to Abraham, God tells Israel, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be no longer rebellious. And when you get to the New Testament, Paul says the same thing in the book of Romans. He says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit. What's going on here? What God is saying, and what he is connecting everything to, everything that we think, everything that we do, he is connecting all of that to one thing, the heart. Because what your heart wants, that's what you will follow. So life with Jesus is not about outward appearances, it's a matter of the heart. And God knew that circumcision or any human-centered effort wasn't going to fix anything, Right? He had to get to the heart. Imagine this, right? I, I struggle with impatience. And so um, 
if I tell myself, you need to be patient, you need to be patient, look at even how I say it is very impatient, isn't it? <laughs> Am I going to become patient? No. It's a matter of the heart. I need the Holy Spirit to come into my heart and to change me, right? He needs to transform me into the likeness of Christ who is patience. And so what we see here is that Life and Christianity is not about outward transformation. It is about heart transformation. And the relationship with God and the spiritual life that flows out of that, flows out of that. And Paul tells us that this only happens by the Spirit of God. And so what the flint knife did in circumcision, the Holy Spirit does to our hearts, right? Uh, When we first come to faith and then every time we hear the word when God works on us. And then in Colossians, Paul says, In Christ you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by the circumcision of Christ. Say that ten times. Circumcision of Christ. So physical circumcision was just a sign of the ultimate circumcision, the cutting off of Christ for us on the cross. And so, this is why in, this, in the New Testament, the sign is no longer circumcision, it's actually baptism. Why? Because unlike circumcision, instead of representing our loyalty to God, which we've come to see is impossible throughout the Old Testament, baptism is the reverse. It re- represents God's loyalty to us. As the water is poured over us, God says, you can't do it. You can't remain faithful to me, so I'm going to wash your sins away, Right? I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to spiritually cleanse you and renew your heart. And so just as water represents life, the Holy Spirit represents a new life, a new power through fellowship with Christ. And that right there is the gospel, right? The gospel is not what you have to do for God and for Jesus. The gospel is what Jesus has already done for you. The gospel just means good news, right? It doesn't mean good advice, Right, if I come up here and tell you what you got to do to make yourself right with God, that's called good advice, but it's not going to help. And so the gospel is never first advice about what you must do, even though there is a lot of advice in the Bible that is very helpful in how we ought to live. The gospel is, first of all, news about what has been done for you by Jesus. So your salvation is not something you achieve, it's something you receive. You receive it as a gift. Isn't that humbling? God gives it to us by grace. What is grace? It's something that we don't deserve because no outward appearance or accomplishment of any kind can earn us the love and the forgiveness and the Holy Spirit. It's all by grace. So this was so important for Paul and Barnabas that the early church get this right. What is the gospel? And so by the power of the Holy Spirit, when we hear this gospel message, right, that Jesus Christ died for our sins on the cross, that kind of love, that kind of grace, friends, you and I, what happens? You and I get cut to the heart. The Spirit can only work through that. And then what happens is there is hope for spiritual transformation. Spiritual transformation. This brings us to the last point. Living in, by, and through grace. So God has saved us by his grace. Now what? 
Well, we have to be careful here because I think it's easy to think these people in the Pharisee party, right, they didn't believe in the gospel. They said that if you want to be a real Christian, if you want to be forgiven, you want to be saved, you want to be in a relation with God, you have to do X, Y, and Z. It's easy to think that they're the problem and we don't, we don't fall into that temptation. But, you know, what we see here in our text is not just a theological problem, it's also a cultural problem. Let me explain, because circumcision was a mark of following God. That was, that's what it was supposed to be. A mark of following God. That transcends cultures, doesn't it? But what it happened was that it became more of a cultural mark of being a Jew. Israel had forgotten, right, that it had nothing to do with ethnic pride, but more to their devotion with Yahweh. So what was originally supposed to signify this, this transcendent relationship with God that transcends cultures and ethnic and racial boundaries is sort of got degraded and demoted to simply a cultural identity marker. And what happens is eventually this leads to what we see throughout the New Testament is this cultural division that Jesus and Paul always are addressing. What is this cultural division? It's between the Jews and the Gentiles, right? Just see it. It's always, every single letter, the Jews and the Gentiles. There's this constant friction and this constant misunderstanding between the two cultures. The Jews wanted the Gentiles to be more Jewish. Hey, get circumcised. And the Gentiles wanted the Jews to be more culturally Gentile, right? And so what's going on here is not just my culture is different, my race is different. What's going on here is my culture is better. And you and I, we might say these narrow-minded people insisting that to be a Christian, you have to become culturally like them. How unchristian, how unloving. But we do that too, don't we? Because if you don't understand the gospel, if you don't really get it, we all, you and I, we, we all have a tendency to not look at our culture as one culture of many cultures, but as the culture, right? As the standard. Other cultures are wrong, my culture is right. But don't you see, this is a form of personal righteousness, isn't it? Whenever you have Jesus plus something else, it's no longer by grace. Jesus plus my culture. And unless you take the gospel and you push it deep down into your heart that you're saved by grace, you let nothing else fill that vacuum, you're going to very slowly do the same thing. Because Christians, as we see throughout the Bible, we ought to be the most culturally flexible people, right? We ought to realize that the culture that we are a part of is, is from Jesus. Jesus is my righteousness. The cross is my ultimate culture. There's value in our personal cultures, right? There is. But it's not the culture. So we don't have to get so offended or judgmental or have it win out all the time. And that's, that's what we see here at the end of our passage, right? In, in verse 22, when they send this letter off, when they, when they finish this theological debate, right? They, uh, in verse 22, it says, they sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. 
right? The brothers, both the apostles and the elders to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings, right? So there's this statement, right? It's like the corporate statement. <laughs> they come out with this statement. It says, since we have heard that some persons has gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling our minds, although we gave no instructions, right? He's talking about the circumcision. He's saying, you guys don't have to do that. It seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, right, who themselves will tell you the same thing. So, right, Paul and Barnabas come to Jerusalem, but they also send uh, um, Judas and Silas, who are from Jerusalem, sort of as a team to send out this message. And then they say, It has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols. Isn't that interesting? Don't you think that's weird? This corporate statement that they come out with says, hey, all we ask is one thing. Don't eat food sacrificed to idols. Well, they also say, uh, from, keep from sexual immorality. We understand that one, okay? <laughs> that one's clear cut. But this, this statement, abstain from eating food sacrificed to idols, that seems random. What's that all about? Well, it was very common for Greeks and Romans to buy meat that was sacrificed to idols. But this bothered the Jews. This seemed inappropriate for them. It offended their cultural sensibilities. How could you buy food that the pagans had sacrificed to idols in the temple? That seems blasphemy. But it didn't bother the Gentile Christians because they've been doing this their entire life. They're like, the idols, they're nothing. The food, it's cheaper. I don't understand what the whole big deal is about. So the leaders of the church asked the Gentile brothers and sisters, even though there's no reason why you couldn't technically and morally eat this meat sacrificed to idols, it's not a sin, but please, out of consideration for your Jewish brothers and sisters, give up your right to do it out of love for them, out of love, consider, it, consider their sensitivities and the way that they might be offended. That's what's happening. You see, the gospel is you are saved by grace. That's the gospel. Your salvation, your forgiveness, reconciliation with God is a gift from God. There is nothing that you and I can do to earn it. And there is a freedom that comes from the gospel, isn't there? We are no longer required to do all these things, to make all these bloody sacrifices because Jesus Christ is the ultimate sacrifice that has paid for sin once and for all. There's a freedom. But it's a freedom that doesn't take the gospel for granted. We don't get to just do whatever we want. Augustine said, for grace is given not because we have done good works, but in order that we may be able to do them. In other words, even though we are not saved by good works, we are saved for good works. There's a difference, isn't there? There's a difference when you are doing something out of obligation, right? Maybe you have a boss and you just got to do this. And then there's a difference in doing something with a cheerful heart, out of love, out of joy. Huge difference. Paul says this in the book of Galatians, for you were called to freedom. You are free. You are no longer bound by sin. You are no longer bound by death. Only use your freedom as an opportunity to love and serve one another. How beautiful is that? Don't 
use your freedom to continue to sin and live for yourself and, and just say, well, Jesus forgives me. Paul says, no, use your freedom to love and serve one another. You have a greater now motivation, a greater reason to actually be more sacrificial, not compulsion, but cheerfulness. Do you see, church, correct theology, correct understanding of God, it never leads to arrogance or self-righteousness. It leads to humility. It leads to love. The truth does set you free. But how does that set you free? Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, it sets you free no longer to live yourself. Live for yourself. He says, For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. And... Um, we're going through the book of Acts. Sometimes the passages are a little long. Forgive us for our inability to sometimes see the great wisdom of your word. Uh, but today we, we see this theological debate and why it is so important to get the gospel right. And we can only get the gospel right if we pay attention to your word. And we are so thankful that the gospel says we are saved by grace. We are saved only because Jesus decided to condescend himself from heaven to earth. Why else would Jesus have left perfection, left his spiritual family? Why else would he have endured suffering, betrayal, torture, and death and condemnation and shame. Why else would he have done that? Because so that we, could, we can have good advice? No, because that is the only thing that saves us from guilt before you and grants us eternal life. But it is also the only thing that saves us from the power of sin as we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We thank you. We thank you. But it is easy for us to forget this and to start serving not out of joy, but sometimes we don't even know why we serve. So we get burnt out. We get discouraged. And I pray right now that you would remind every single one of us that we have, uh, we are saved not by good works, but we are, we are saved for good works. And this only comes as we remember your ultimate work for us. And so I pray that in our church, you would create a transcendent culture. A culture that transcends beyond Jew and Gentile. A, a culture that transcends the culture. A, a culture that comes from you. A culture of truth. A culture of grace. A culture of compassion and a culture of encouragement, a culture of forgiveness, and a culture of accountability, a culture of rest, and a culture of perseverance. 
there are so many things that you want to teach us, that you want to infuse into our hearts and into our church to become the kind of cultural church, the, a cultural people that reflects who you are. So help us to embrace that. Help us to have faith in that. Would you again build that in us by your grace, by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.